seated. This week I took a, a little quiz online, and it was a quiz that contained 13 questions, and I was simply to answer yes and no. And what this quiz was seeking to evaluate was my overall health. Now, obviously, a quiz like this is not worth a great deal in many respects. It's not scientific. Any physician that, that would use such a quiz as this as his sole way of determining your health, do not go to him or her. But nonetheless, I took this quiz and I answered the 13 questions. And I was so delighted that as I answered those questions about my lifestyle and about what kind of ailments I'm struggling with, it came out, I learned that I'm in good health. Yay me. Here's the question. Is there a quiz that we can take that will show us if we are living being filled with the Spirit? And I have good news for you. It's not an online quiz. It's a quiz right here in the Word of God. And it's not 13 questions, it's only three. You want to know what it is? Get your pen and paper out. Get ready to write down the quiz so you can answer your questions. Am I living, being a spirit-filled believer? Because I think we can live not being a spirit-filled believer. It doesn't mean we don't have the spirit. It means we're not relying on the spirit. So here's the quiz. Is my life characterized and is my vocabulary characterized by praise? That's question number one. Question number uh, two in this little quiz. Is my life, and especially in my heart, overflowing with gratitude? And then thirdly, is my life represented by living humbly before others. So think about that. Praise, gratitude, and humility is what we find in verses 19 through 21 that I believe indicate if we are living, being spirit-filled, as the Apostle Paul has instructed us to be. Let us pray. God, our Father, we ask you to work in our hearts, in our minds, in every aspect of our being, that we would be conformed to your word and that we would seek you. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, change us and mold us, make us as you would have us to be, those who live being spirit-filled according to your word. And we ask that you would bless the hearer as well as the preacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we looked at, at the first part of this passage, verses 15 through 18. I'll read that, as well as verses 19 through 21, which is our focus today. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 15. Look carefully, then, how ye walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not... Be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, 
for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. And so you may remember several weeks ago as we looked at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14, we learned the Apostle Paul describing how the Ephesian believers used to live. They lived as uh, darkness. And in that passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul called the Ephesians as well as calling you and me to renounce the darkness and to walk in the light. And then in verses 15 through 18, which we considered last week, the Apostle Paul tells us how we are to go about renouncing the darkness and walking in the light. We are to look carefully at how we walk by measuring it up against God's Word so that we would be able to determine where the dark places are that we might repent of them and seek His grace that we would walk more and more as light. And secondly from last week, the Apostle Paul said, the way you're able to really look carefully at your life is to be filled with the Spirit, the Spirit being the power source of dealing with what we find when we look carefully at our lives as they're measured up against God's Word. And so being filled with the Spirit, as we considered last week, is not that we don't have the Spirit, every believer does, but it's really relying on the Spirit, seeking the Spirit, as Paul says in Galatians 5, walking by the Spirit, asking for the Spirit to work instead of trying to do things in your own power. And so in verses 19 through 21 then, the Apostle Paul gives us, as I indicated earlier, this little quiz that will help us understand if we are living, being Spirit-filled. The three words that we find in this passage, praise, gratitude, and humility. Well, let's look at this this first evidence of being filled with the Spirit, praise. It obviously is true that the context of verse 19 appears to be, and I think is, public and corporate worship. But why would Paul lists psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that obviously show the context being worship as he is contrasting the Spirit-filled believer with those who live in darkness. As as we looked, I think it was two weeks ago, at verses 3 through 14, as the Apostle Paul talks about darkness and how dark it really is, I relate to you that, that one of the features of pagan worship in Ephesus, where they, they worship the fertility goddess Diana, was all manner of sexual immorality and orgies. And so can you imagine in the context of, of worship, 
this dark sexual immoral acts and speech and all that was taking place. And the speech of the dark side, verse 4, filthiness, foolish talk, and crude joking that simply go along with all of the immoral acts that are associated with darkness. And so we can say that the vocabulary of the dark side with all of its dark acts is debauchery. It's vile, defiling, destructive, corrupting words. And the Apostle Paul seeks to show just how opposite the spirit-filled believer is from the darkness-filled pagan. And so he brings up, as, as the Ephesians were reading verses uh, 3, 4, and 5, they were thinking of pagan worship, what they once did. And so the Apostle Paul brings up spirit-filled worship to contrast. And the spirit-filled Ephesians worship, worshiping, what characterizes their worship is not debauchery, it's not perversions, but it's praise. You see what Paul is doing here? And so the setting of verse 19 is worship because of Paul's reference to psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It points to the assembly of God's people for corporate and, private and public uh, worship. It's very similar to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 where he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. The primary way that we teach and admonish one another in corporate worship is the preaching of the word of God. But Paul adds that we also, in public worship, teach and admonish and edify one another as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. As we, as Paul says in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, as we address one another. We've already addressed one another this morning as we've already lifted up in song a number of hymns. Singing to God, yes, absolutely. Praising Him, yes, absolutely. But singing the praises of God to one another. Teaching and admonishing one another, not merely the preaching word, though primary, but also through the Word of God, sung. Truths from the Word of God, sung. What a joy it is. See, I'm not the only one that preaches on Sunday morning. We preach to one another in a sense as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Have you ever thought about that? Ladies, don't take that too far. You'll get me in all kinds of trouble with the Presbytery. Women preachers. And the reference to psalms here in the, surely means the Old Testament Psalter. Think of what Bill read this morning, Psalm 96. Wasn't that great? Praising God by singing the psalms, by reading the psalms. And then hymns, there are New Testament texts 
that are early hymns. Think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11 about Jesus coming down and taking the form of a servant. That's a hymn. And there are many other passages of Scripture that are early hymns and spiritual songs, these sacred lyrics that the people of God sang to offer praise to God and to edify one another with regards to who God is and what God has done, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit is working in God's people today and until Jesus comes again. And then as we look at the rest of verse 19, we read that we are to uh, make, make a melody uh, in, in our hearts and to make that melody in our hearts to the Lord. And what does this refer to? Well, people have different understandings. Some say, well, this, this means we should use instruments, which I think we should. The Old Testament certainly shows that. But I think what this is simply saying is this. As the Holy Spirit fills me with the love and grace of Christ, my heart just overflows in a, in a glorious gospel melody, just overflowing with praise for God and for His goodness and for His redemption and for Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is that as you have a right understanding of music in the church, then as you sing, it really is an overflow of what God the Holy Spirit is already doing in your heart. And you know as well as I do, you come to church on Sunday morning, you've had a bad week, you've had a bad night, you've had a fight with someone, surely not your wife, and you come and you're singing those hymns, oh Jesus, Jesus, how I love thee, you know the difference when your heart is soft towards God. You know the difference when you are filled with the Spirit because, man, you can't help but sing. And even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, you can't help but sing. Don't give me that excuse for not singing because I can't carry a tune. God's people sing. Try not to sing too loud. But God's people sing, right? Mark Talbot said this, what could be more natural than, than God's redeemed people to want to sing? As the great troops of salvation history hit our hearts, we experience rushes of joy and love and gratitude that naturally provoke us to sing. God's redeemed people always have had and always will have an urge to form harmonious chorus to him, his glories. Well said. That hits the very heart of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4:19. I got a question for you. This isn't a quiz, but here's a question. Is your vocabulary of praise? For Sunday only. Is Paul saying you don't have to worry about your vocabulary having anything to do with praise Monday through Saturday? It better on Sunday, but you're free from this 
No, he's not saying that at all. In fact, I would say he's saying just the opposite. I can guarantee you this. As if we were to go to Ephesus and if we were to, now that, don't get me wrong here, but, but if we were to go to ancient Ephesus and we wouldn't go, but after the, the, the pagan worship service with all of this sexual immorality going on and all these uh, literally words of debauchery being, being spoken, I can guarantee you this, that their everyday life was full of that same stuff. In other words, what is in your heart on Sunday is going to spill out Monday through Saturday as well, right? And if what is in your heart on Sunday has, is not spilling out Monday through Saturday, you've got bigger problems than you may think. And so the point I want to make here, dear brothers and sisters, is that on Sunday, being Spirit-filled means we come and we rely upon the Spirit. We ask the Spirit to flood our hearts with the praise of God. And it just, it, it, we, we can't help but sing. And as we gather, as we address one another throughout the week, we can't help but praise God. Now listen, I, please don't. This would be chilling for me, for you to come up to me at Walmart and start singing a hymn. That would, that would be difficult. I don't, that's not what I'm saying. I suppose you could. Um, no, what I'm saying is this, that we're so filled with the Spirit. Yes, corporate worship, but also worship being all of life. That it's just natural for me to hymn God's praise as I socialize with believers throughout the week. See, the Holy Spirit fuels us to praise God in worship. The Holy Spirit fuels us to speak of God's praise with one another. Whenever we come together, praise should characterize our vocabulary on Sunday and Monday through Saturday. That's what Paul is saying here. My mother is, is an example of this to me. You cannot be in a conversation very long with her without my mother directing the conversation to Christ. That's what Paul is instructing us to do here. That evidences living, being filled with the Spirit when praise is on our lips. But we need the Spirit, don't we? Because we can be just as debauch in our vocabulary as the dark side. Gossip, anger, criticism... Oftentimes, that characterizes our speak, speech. And so Paul would instruct us to ask for the Spirit to bring us to repentance and to fill our hearts with praise. That praise just naturally flows when we address one another. If we are being Spirit-filled, our vocabulary will be characterized by overflowing praise. And praise really is a revelation of our gratitude. Well, if that is true, look at verse 20. 
If, if praise reveals gratitude to God, then, then what does the vocabulary of the dark side reveal? Because, see, I think Paul is contrasting the dark side, the darkness-filled pagan, and the spirit-filled believer here. And so what characterizes the, the dark side's vocabulary? Well, or, or I... I should say, what does the dark side vocabulary reveal about them? And I think, we, I think Paul tells us in verse 4, this is what he says. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. You see, the vocabulary of the dark side reveals that they really have absolutely nothing for which to give thanks in light of eternity. They have no inheritance. They are outside the kingdom of God. They are lost, they are damned, and their destiny is hell. Thus, Paul says this in verse 4, let There be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. That's the dark side vocabulary. That's the vocabulary of no inheritance, no future, no hope. That's the vocabulary of hell. But then he says, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. You see, thanksgiving and gratitude evidences that we have an inheritance, that that we are the sons and daughters of God, that we have hope, that we have a future, that our destiny is heaven and not hell. I mean, what a contrast is made, both in praise and gratitude, between the darkness-filled pagan and the spirit-filled believer. Verse 20 says that the spirit-filled believers are to to be grateful to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just use salvation as an example. We are grateful to the Father for Ephesians chapter 1. He has ordained our election before the foundation of the world was laid. He has ordered and planned our redemption And we are to give thanks to God, the Son, Jesus, who has accomplished the plan of redemption. And it is in His name He did it. And as we are united to Him, we are blessed with His person and work. We are redeemed. We become the sons and daughters of the living God. And we also want to add the Holy Spirit here. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is left out in so much of our conversation. But he's not left out in Ephesians chapter 1. Because there the Apostle Paul reminds us that it's God the Holy Spirit who seals and guarantees the redemption that was accomplished by Christ and ordained by the Father. So are you saved? Are you saved? Are you grateful for it? Amen. We are grateful for what we do not deserve. One reason I use redemption, this is an example of being grateful, is because we don't deserve it. It is is by grace. 
these ble- all the blessings of God are bestowed upon us, His, his love and His grace and His, and his manifold blessings. Could one who is more undeserving receive more than we have already received by God through Christ and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit? Think about it. We are grateful for for what we do not deserve. We are grateful always and for everything. The text tells us that. Always be grateful for everything. Verse 20. God is always with us. He's always bestowing His grace and blessing upon us. Uh, We are to be grateful to our triune God when life is calm or when and when we are in a storm of life. We are always to be grateful. We are grateful for blessings bestowed in times of peace and plenty, in times of turmoil and suffering. You know as well as I do that there are believers that we might come in contact with that are suffering terribly, and yet what characterizes them would be hope and faith and gratitude. Well, let me ask this question. What does the darkness-filled person have over which to give thanks in light of eternity? Absolutely nothing. But you and I, we have everything. Therefore, let us always be grateful to God. Praise reveals the deep gratitude in our hearts for all that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has by grace bestowed upon us. We have an inheritance that will never fade nor fail. Maybe you were here last Sunday, and I hope you were. Then after worship, we went to the sanctuary. We had our mill and ministry, and we made using little uh, gallon Ziploc bags, we made uh, goodie bags that we can carry with us to hand out to beggars on the street corner or those whom we come in contact with that, that need just a helping hand. And the reason we did that was to be able to demonstrate uh, the love of Christ in a tangible way. And so we Fill these Ziploc bags with food and drink and little personal hygiene items and a Bible. Well, let me just focus on this for just a moment. By the way, the peop- this week, the, pe- the, the places where I normally find people asking for a handout, no one was there. I've still got my two bags, and I tried to hand them out. But if I did, I would be giving them something that they do not deserve. Have you ever thought about that? We spend all that time and money putting these bags together to give people they don't deserve them. And they probably, I suspect this, at least some, will really not be grateful for receiving a bag with beef jerky stick and a Bible in it, even though it was given to them. And I I remember some years ago, a fellow came and asked for me to give him money 
to buy a bus ticket to go to Kansas City. And I said, well, sir, I cannot give you money, but I will be glad to take you down to the bus station and buy you a ticket and escort you on the bus. The man cursed me and flew out of my office in anger because what he wanted was money. He determined what he needed. He determined what he wanted. He deserved money. And I've been thinking about this when it comes to gratitude. And, and I've been thinking about the, 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 the likelihood of you and me handing out a bag to a person on a street corner and that person being totally ungrateful for it, maybe even throwing it away because they're not getting what they want. And I've been thinking about that and I had this thought, I do so much worse before God. Every single thing that God bestows upon me, I do not deserve. I don't deserve being a pastor. I don't deserve being a husband. I don't deserve being a father. I don't deserve having good health according to that quiz I took. I don't deserve the house. I don't deserve the car. I don't deserve anything. And yet I can so easily feel like I have a right to this. I have a right to that God I demand this and I demand that and I can be worse than a beggar on a street corner that is ungrateful for a bag of goodies because he didn't get money. We need the Spirit to show us our unthankful hearts, to bring us to repentance and to flood our hearts with a fresh understanding and awareness of all that God has bestowed upon us ill-deserving people because he loves us. And that the Spirit might fuel our hearts to truly be grateful. And when I need to get my heart reoriented a little bit to, to remind me of all that Christ has done for me, I go to Romans 8, Romans 8, 28, and then 37 through 38. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I have an inheritance in heaven. I am a son of the living God through Christ. I have everything, though undeserving of it, but I have it because God loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. May the Spirit fuel us with overflowing gratitude. And the third, third evidence that we have here in, in this text is, is humility or mutual submission might be another 
way to describe this, and, and, and we see this in verse 21. And what's interesting about verse 21 is that it's, it's a transition verse. It does go with 19 through 21, but it also goes with chapter 5, verse 22, all the way through chapter 6, verse 9, because there the Apostle Paul is going to talk about different social relationships, husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave, and it's all under the rubric of be mutually submissive, submit to one another out of reverence uh, to Christ. But, uh, but I do want to, and, and I, I must uh, say, say a few things about this today, but just, just know that we're going to really dive down into being mutually submissive as we look at marriage and as we look at parenting and, and, and uh, being a child and as we look at master-slave or employer-employee type issues. But first, mutual, we are to be mutually submissive. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, and what does this mean? Well, I mean, reverence is that we are in awe of Christ. We honor Him. We, we, we glorify Him. We, full of Christ's love, we're submissive to Him. He is our, our only love. We're devoted uh, to Him. But I think it also reflects to the fact that we follow Him, to reverence Him. We live like Him. We're His disciples. And how did Jesus live? Look at passages like Philippians 2, which I told you earlier was, was an early hymn of the Christian church, or at least part of Ephesians chapter 2. And what we learn there is the Apostle Paul is saying, you're to have the same mind as Christ who took the form of a servant. And, and we think about uh, Matthew 11, where there Jesus said, you know, take my yoke upon you. I am lowly and meek and humble. And so out of reverence of Christ means that we love him, we honor him, we reverence him, but we also follow him and follow his example of servanthood, being, submiss- being, being a servant, being, being humble. And here's what it means to be mutually submissive. Let me just read a few statements that reflect truths of Scripture. That we should be willing to be the least. We should so serve one another, so place ourselves in such a lowly position that it, it would be as if we were washing one another's feet. We are to honor and prefer one another. And we are to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Then I think the Apostle Paul gives us a great description of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ earlier in, in chapter four of Ephesians, verses one through three, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Mutual submission means that we have affection for our brethren We demonstrate humility in our relationships amongst our brothers and sisters in in Christ. 
we are willing to put aside our own needs to meet the needs of another brother or sister in Christ. And, and consider with me for just a moment the dark side. Are they mutually submissive to, to, to one another? Do they put others' interest before their own? They are, according to the Apostle Paul, covetous, and in parentheses, idolaters, in verses 3 and also in verse 5 of chapter 5 of, of Ephesians. They are greedy for self-gratification in every way at the expense of others. They abuse others to get what they want. They are gratuitously self-indulgent. And brothers and sisters, this can be our problem too, can't it? I thought, and I've said this before, it's kind of interesting that Apostle Paul talks about being mutually submissive to one another. One of the big ways we're not mutually submissive to one another is because we're selfish and self-centered. And, and then he gets into marriage. <laughs> Laugh. Those of you who are married, you should be laughing now. Because I can guarantee you, like me, probably most of you thought, I'm the most giving person ever. And within two days of being married, you, you realize I am so self-centered and selfish. And I just think it's kind of comical. The Apostle Paul says, basically, don't be selfish. And then he starts talking about marriage. It's really very sanctifying, isn't it? Well, it's really true that we can be just as self-centered, gratuitously self-indulgent as the dark side. And therefore, the Apostle Paul tells us here that we are to seek the Spirit to bring us to repentance, to show us our selfishness, and to be filled with the humility, the power to be humble. We can't be like Jesus. He was ultimately humble, but we can be more and more like him, can't we? To put others first. You know, the, the, the spirit-filled believer champions the well-being of others, champions another person's interest. The, the, the spirit-filled believer will do without so that his brother or sister can do with more. The spirit-filled believer will go to the back of the line so the brother or sister can go to the front of the line. The spirit-filled believer will tend to fade into the backdrop so that maybe his brother and sister who have been part of this ministry initiative can get all the credit. The spirit-filled believer lays down his life, not just for his wife. The spirit-filled believer lays down his life for his fellow believers. Humble. And we need the spirit, don't we? To be like Jesus in, in humility. Well, quiz with three questions. Are you living being spirit-filled? Is your vocabulary characterized by praise? Is your heart overflowing with gratitude? 
and in your relationships, are you humble? Let us pray. God, our Father, we ask for the Spirit to enable us to rely upon you. We ask for the Spirit to fill us with the love and grace of Christ, that our words might be characterized by praise, that our hearts might overflow with gratitude, that our actions and our relationships might be characterized by humility. Father, it's the Spirit. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, it's you who we need and we ask for that we might live spirit-filled as we look carefully at our lives so that we will be able, by your grace, to renounce darkness and walk as children of light. So do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.